0: Hey friends, and welcome to part two of our conversation with myself, Lisa Hun, and Romy Alexandra as we talk about creating psychologically safe learning environments.
1: I don't know if this is too concrete, but I'd love to hear from your experience and, you know, all three of us as facilitators. What are things that we facilitators do that we're not aware of that really undercut our efforts with psychological safety?
2: For me, something that I realized is evaluative words. Mm. So again, we're all human. We're all, you know, we as trainers and facilitators are showing up in our authentic way, but we, I recognize at least for myself. I'm trying to be more conscious of when I put my own evaluation on things. This could be from, we're going to do a really great activity. <laughs> Who says it's great, right? I may think it's a great activity, but I'm already putting some kind of judgment out in there that people can either agree with or disagree with. And if somebody goes through that experience and goes to that activity and actually says, that wasn't a great experience. I didn't have a lot of pleasant emotions. In fact, that was horrible. I hated it. I was super uncomfortable. That person may not feel safe to later speak up and share about that experience. So being both really mindful of evaluative words and also making sure that Uh, And again, this is why we need to take that ego out because we need to be ready to say, this is a safe, this is a space where all pleasant and unpleasant emotions are welcome. So I often preface this by saying, even upfront in a training, like, I just want to hear your authentic reactions to that. I don't care. My feelings are never going to be hurt if you say, that was a horrible experience for me. Like, good. I want to hear about it. I want to learn about it because we all may have that. And so Making sure we, we create space upfront for that. The other thing is evaluation in terms of the comments we get from participants. So you may, you know, everyone may say some, I really believe everything, everybody has something valuable to share. But if we, as facilitators, we may react differently and say, oh, that was a really great question um we want to be mindful that other people just spoke up and we didn't say that and what do those people think was their question not a great question? should they was it a stupid question? should they not have asked that question? So again being mindful of how we put our own impressions on other people and just saying thank you so much for that question. That's it, you know um I I, I think it's hard because we all often are putting our own experience on things, but I think it, it can be a really can really change the way participants engage with the activities you're designing.
0: Sometimes I think that, especially if you've been in the field longer, things that we see as easy, like this is an easy thing for me to be able to do. I project that it must, like it's easy, but I forget my learning journey whereby the things that I find easy now are obviously not easy. I referenced in a episode related to belaying that sometimes I'll say to, of course you can teach students, as if that was an easy thing, but it's my full-time job. Of course it's easy for me, but I forget that it's probably not easy for somebody else. In the same way of these broad statements of making sure you're participating in activities, that might be a really struggle point for someone to feel like confident to do or you have to listen more and talk less. I've said that a lot, but I reflect back to when I was first starting, I don't think I could have been able to do that because of all of the other pressures that I had going in my head. So I think some, some things that we see as norms or behaviors of facilitation are an ideal, are somewhat out of reach of other people. And so we have to be more open to saying like, these, is, these things are hard. And so I think like that concept of portraying easiness I remember when I first started, I'd go to see people present at conferences and be like, they'd perform and it'd be this incredible experience. I'd go and mimic that and it would flop. And then I would internalize that as I can't do this work. But like forgetting that they've been doing this 25 years, they were, they were probably the same level I was at, but I just don't see that. And I, that's such a hard thing to portray of ease. But I think what you were suggesting about honesty, vulnerability Opening the curtain, behind the curtain of how the process of your agenda is working makes that probably seem easier. And therefore, you role model that and people are more likely to role model their own vulnerabilities to you. So that's as I'm, I'm reflecting on that.
2: Hearing you talking about the easy or difficult. Another th- thing I realized is that when you ask participants, how was this activity for you? You may get a bunch of people who say, this is easy, easy, easy. I think your job as the facilitator is to mine out the opposite experiences as well. Sometimes we're so, it's what we want to hear. We want to hear like, oh, they enjoyed it and it it was easy and nice. We say, oh, great. Okay. And then we just move on. I'm really trying to actively say, okay, I hear for some people it's easy. What about others? Anyone found this difficult or challenging? I'm constantly trying to mine and see if we can have the opposite experience. Because it often is in the room, but people just don't feel comfortable saying it. And remembering that we don't always have, we sh- we cannot think in multiple choice questions when we ask questions like, how is this for you? Was it easy or difficult? Let's not limit ourselves to these two options. Let's open it up. Um, I'm also trying to do a better job as a facilitator of asking um, more open questions, which is always essential, but Oftentimes, even with open questions where we tend to add multiple choice answers at the end, like, was it this, was this, was this? And again, that can sometimes limit participants. So I'm trying to really ask open questions, but no multiple choice to really be open to whatever the experience is for others to bring into that space.
1: I relate to what you both said already, and I would add. Um, especially when I'm fatigued or uncomfortable, well, one of the things that's really important to me and I'm assuming it fits under psychological safety, I think it does is sort of make access to me as the facilitator equal for everyone and I'm not over identifying with one person or you know and yet i I also really value my own like participation in the group. and so I've sometimes struggled with that balance of, if I'm in a workshop and where Phil and I are and the type of work, we might have a workshop of 12 people, half of them, we've already met before half of them are new. And it's just sort of having that equal connection with folks or last summer, I had a participant who um, was a few months pregnant and was like asking questions about harnessing. And that's a personal experience that I have and, you know, in this field and, I really attended to her specifically in a way that I don't regret, but was very different from the way I attended to everybody else. And so I think sometimes I can over-identify with a participant and then unintentionally turn my back on others and assume that they don't have any needs just because they haven't told me.
2: It's, yeah. it's a great one. And one I also realized, I mean... I get that that's harder to do in the online space because we're usually not so much with one-on-one time, but I guess it depends on how you design your training. But for sure with the in-person, I was really trying to be mindful of, okay, am I sitting with different people at lunch and in dinner? Am I have like really looking at the room? Have I gone around and had individual alone time with every single participant? Uh, Because- It's true whether they, you know, there are some participants who may be super excited and motivated to come and speak to you, but others who don't, but who still really value it and want it. And they can feel that difference when you're really making an active choice to connect more with Mm -hmm. everyone. I think it's so important. And another thing that you both brought up that I I don't think I, I recognize, but I think it's also important is that. We need to be, as facilitators and trainers, we also have to think about our own psychological safety. And that comes in so many different aspects from what are things that you feel that you need from the group? Like I, you know, we were talking, I was very open to say, hey, I am brand new back into in-person. I feel right now a bit worried about making sure that we are taking the best COVID restrictions and regulations in mind but that also people are not feeling like we're constantly going back to this topic of covid and we kind of want to forget about it and pretend it doesn't exist. So being open about my own um challenges also again i think role models vulnerability as well as psychological safety in a team in a you know co-facilitators your our emotions are contagious and so part, you can really feel and participants can really feel when the co-facilitators feel psychologically safe with each other, feel like they have a really good rapport and they can even make mistakes or support each other in a way that you you can also feel when there is a bad vibe there and this is not really great teamwork. And so reminding ourselves that psychological safety is a key element in all levels and all aspects. And we can really bring that to the forefront. Um, yeah. Call it out. Speak about it and uh, recognize it for yourself as well.
0: My assumption is the the safety of this environment is also dictated not by just the environment of ourselves, but also all of the participants that are involved. There's a a whole ecosystem of things going on that creates that space. Do you have any strategies or have you run into situations, and I'm reflecting on a lot of programs where I've had individuals or select people in the group that have maybe negatively impacted the safety of the space as a participant, less so about us, but a participant... What strategies do you do to address that? Um, how do you add, how are you able to manage that kind of influence on the space?
2: Yeah, it's a, such a good one. So, a few things. I mean, participants can feel it, and even the person. Like if someone is coming in and you feel is negatively affecting the group, um, my first thing to do is usually take that person aside and have a talk with them. And that could be for a variety of different reasons, but to, to better understand why that's happening, what's going on within them, what they may be needing. I tend that often people who are participants who feel that they already know so much and are not really feeling valued for you know what they do know, they are, can often be Um, More difficult participants are like take the group off course. And so my strategy is usually to bring that in and say, hey, I recognize or I heard you say that you already have a lot of experience with this. Would you be willing to share some activities? Could we co-facilitate something together? Would you could I bring you in and share you the plan for the day? And that's, again, it's a, it's acting out that person I often find is acting out because there is an, an unfulfilled need. And so making sure that somehow they feel their need is also being addressed often, not always, but most often allows them the group to feel like, okay, that person is now really here with us and contributing. And now we're, we're part of a team. I think it's also really important to, yeah, just have open communication and dialogue and be able to For example, when in, in this in-person training we have, we start every morning with a morning circle and we ask, you know, what's on people's minds, like that might be preventing you from being present in the session today. Let's throw it out. Let's call it out. And people come up with all different things that you could not ever even imagine personal things, professional things. And so again, creating space for that can also help Increase empathy that people say, "Oh, this is not just a difficult participant who's trying to negatively affect the group. Like actually, they have some real heavy things on their mind as well." And so we could also show up to support them, and that could also affect the whole group dynamic.
0: That's awesome, and I want to I want to uh, tie this in, Lisa. You've got this. The way that you set up your workshops, the way you. Uh, preempt at the start, you talk about these multiple workshops. I feel like that ties in nicely to what even you were suggesting about attending unfulfilled needs, but like truly addressing it. Lisa, do you want to speak to how you frame?
1: I learned this from a colleague years ago, Romy, that when I'm doing professional development training, so folks are coming in to learn something to take home with their craft I will often explain that they're attending three workshops at the same time. And the first workshop is sort of symbolizes that being present and doing things together a problem solving activity or a game or something. And then the second workshop is unique to everyone. So it's like thinking about how do I apply this in my class or how do I bring this home to my students, my work setting? And the third workshop is sort of our own evaluation. Like, this is silly. This is fun. I'm hungry. I think my phone is ringing. And I I just like to start most trainings by saying, like, you're attending all three at once. It might explain why it's fatiguing. Mm -hmm. And that the third workshop is for every participant to attend to how they need to. I tend to forget to give structured breaks, even though I think they're really important. So I, I just like to name up front that when you need a break, take it. Even though I do think it's important to, you don't want people to have that fear of missing out by like, if I go take this call, what am I going to miss?
0: That framing ties in nicely to the idea that if we're not upfront about some of those things, then maybe us not being upfront about all of these different things that we attend to contributes, therefore, to then behaviors that are further down the line that we would consider disruptive. And we just could have avoided that if we'd have just asked those primary questions.
2: And yeah, and, and one more thing, I mean, I love that frame, framing, Lisa, and I think it's important as well to, right, challenge by choice. I think that is so key, and that's such a huge aspect of psychological safety is never forcing participants to do anything, but encouraging them to see all the different lenses of why we're trying to do something. And then, yeah, as you said, if you need to go take a break, then go take a break if you feel this is what you need. The phone piece is such a big one, right? And you're right. When when you're working with younger generations, it's this is something that they, many people are born with, can't can't even picture, you know, spending one hour away from. And yes, I recognize that we need to be excited of that. And I would also say that we had a lot of big discussions about it, about phones, and what we realized is that. Again, the more you can tell the why, telling the why behind, really trying to explain why, because pe- people can be very resistant if you just say, we don't want phones in the session, but why? Um, and w- my co-trainer, she's actually a digital wellness expert. So she was coming in with all this amazing research again and explaining like just the physical presence of a phone even turned you know upside down on the table. Just the physical presence of a phone automatically makes people think about their phone and people want to check theirs and it becomes a ripple effect. And many of us, again, we, I think it's important, no matter what you're training on, you want to be encouraging these empathy skills and helping people see you may want your phone. You may want this, but also rem- remembering how this is affecting others, how this can be a, become a ripple effect. Also just even creating space for challenge, we, you know, challenge by choice. We had an unplugged box and we said, totally up to you. But what we know about our addiction to phones and many different things, we will put at the front of the training room an unplug box for anyone who wants to take that challenge to put their phone in. So it's not even there until the break time and you can get out and people loved it so much. And some people said, wow, just doing this helped me realize my, my own addiction to my phone. Can I actually leave it in all day? Can I not even check my phone all day and was, go for it, challenge yourself, whatever you want. Um, so I think that's I like another that. key element uh, to remember
0: definitely agree i think what you're what you're suggesting as well i think if we take this this whole episode this whole conversation is an awareness of how you're how you role model but then also that big element on choice which is throughout all of these things pl- clearly giving the options throughout any form of programming for feedback, for sharing, for activity ideas, all of these components and trying to take ourselves as facilitators out of the, our own personal needs of what we see the goals as being and being much more flexible in making that about the participants will create the opportunities for people to be much more vulnerable, which will create the opportunity for safety. I want to thank you Romy for this conversation. Absolutely. We could talk more and, we will probably schedule another time to do that again because every time I chat with you, I feel invigorated and energized and I'm already thinking like I need to change some things as I'm going into a workshop coming. So if you've had, as you've been listening to this have like you've found this in insightful, you feel like you want to chat more with Romy. I'm going to put Romy's details or email and stuff in the description. So you can feel free to connect with her. And then I also encourage you to check her out on Instagram and also LinkedIn.
1: Yeah. I just, another plug for Romy, your resources, even on Instagram. I mean, it's beyond Instagram, what you can normally expect just around even psychological <laughs> safety, this topic you have so much to share. It's been really helpful for me. So um, thank you.
2: Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you both. Thank you so much. And this is a topic that I just believe is so important and I see psychological safety really as the foundation for creating a learning, you know, for for learning in general.
0: So that's our conversation with myself, Romy, and Lisa. Thanks once again to the both of them for joining me in this conversation. To summarize, we talked about evaluative words. Mining for opposite experiences. Making yourself equally accessible to all participants. Owning our own psychological safety. And also how to manage participants that negatively impact the psychological safety of our group. Lots covered in this episode. So thank you once again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it valuable. Feel free to reach out on Instagram at Playpen. And I will catch you on the next one.
2: Thanks for listening to Vertical Playtest.
0: And then, what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try.
2: Thanks for giving Article Path a guy. <laughs>